From the Zimmerman Symphony Center in Canton, Ohio, this is Orchestrating Change. I'm Matthew Jenkins Yaroshevitz, Associate Conductor of the Canton Symphony Orchestra. And I'm Rachel Hegemeyer, Manager of Education and Community Engagement. Welcome to our podcast, and thank you for joining us. This podcast will navigate the issues that exist in the field of classical music and the world at large. We invite you to listen with open ears as our guests share their experience as underrepresented professionals in the music industry. Today, we are joined by LaFlobia Janani, director of United Way's Project Blueprint, which prepares members of minority communities to serve on nonprofit boards. She is based right here in Stark County, where she is an active member of the Stark County NAACP, strengthening Stark's Minority Action Committee, and Coming Together Stark County. She is a licensed professional counselor and holds degrees in psychology, sociology, leadership studies, and clinical mental health counseling. Flo Janani, welcome to Orchestrating Change. Well, thank you for having me. Thank you so much for being here. Um, I've been lucky enough to hear you speak a couple of times and it's always wonderful. So now I actually get to have a conversation with you, which is wonderful. So can you just tell us a little bit about yourself and your background? Um, well, I um, have lived here in Stark, in Canton, Ohio, Stark County area for about 19 years. Um, moved here 19 years ago from West Virginia uh, because of um, my husband at the time. Um, the job, he took a promotion and it required us to transfer here. So, um, but I'm originally from St. Louis. Um, grew up in the heart of St. Louis, um, graduated from high school there, and of course um, went to college after graduating high school and really haven't lived there since then. So um, have, have lived in West Virginia and then now here. Um, and then I have a 26-year-old son um, who has blessed me with a daughter in January. So he got married in January to his love of his life um, and then I'm also raising I have a 16 year old bonus child uh, <laughs> male who's actually he's my brother so um, our our mother passed away when he was 14 um, so I took on legal, legal guardianship of him which has been interesting when I thought I was done raising and I'm starting over so oh, um, yeah it's it's been fun um, it's been it's been great to have the opportunity to kind of have a do-over, so to speak. So you know, to, to kind of correct those mistakes that I made with, with, with my own, so. Yeah, you have a little more knowledge under your belt now. You're like, mm, okay, we're gonna do that differently now. Yes, exactly. So so in, a way, in that sense, it's kind of good. So, yeah. Absolutely. Very cool. So you, as I mentioned at the top, you're involved in a lot of things. You have many degrees and a number of different things, and you've done a lot in your career. Just guide us through your career path and what led you to where you are today. Well, um, I guess career-wise, um, you know, I chose to, to major in, um, for my undergrad, I chose to major in psych and social. Um, psychology and sociology. So th that that was a dual bachelor's degree. Started off with psychology, then went in to decide uh, a uh, minor. And uh, my advisor was like, well, you're almost done with the requirements for, for sociology. She was like, you can do another major. So, okay. So that's what I did. Um, I have always been interested in um, the helping type field, um, probably because of the areas that I grew up you know, in, in St. Louis, I saw things happening um, in our home. We we always kind of talked about those things. And the I remember the things that we watched on television, like a lot of the movies and books I read were kind of along the lines of social services as well, social work and counseling. And so I was always naturally drawn to that. So that's that's what led me to major the way I did in college. So when I finished college, my first job in the field was on a psych ward of a hospital in West Virginia. 
<laughs> so, and I tell people that I feel like that is what trained me and gave me the courage to do everything else I did after that. Um, because I got, boy, I was, I got exposure to a lot of things, um, but it was in a controlled situation. Um, so, so that kind of set the pace for me. Um, and then I had the opportunity to, to opportunity to become um, a juvenile probation officer. So, um, and that just kind of opened up because the person that trained me as the mental health specialist on the psych ward, right after he trained me, he went to a position at juvenile probation. Um, and then when a position opened up like a couple years later, he, he sought me out and recommended me. So, um, and that was interesting too, because I had always had an interest in like law, you know, like le the legal field and, and criminal justice. And um, I'm, I'm kind of a law and order type person. I'm, I'm a rule follower. So, so that just really fit for me. Plus, I always um, have been drawn to young people, to kids. You know, I feel like, you know, I've had some life experiences or just some, some wisdom in some areas that I wanted to make a difference in the life of young people to kind of help steer and guide them. So, so that ended up being a perfect um, situation for me. Um, and so I actually did that until we moved here. Um, at the time we moved here, my son was finishing first grade. And we decided um, that it was time for me to be mom only um, because, you know, working in mental health and then um, doing juvenile probation, which there's a lot of overlap with that. You know, some of the, the clients I had on juvenile probation, I had on the mental health unit or even their families. So anyway, there's, there's not a lot of success stories, you know, especially early on, like you, you just feel like you're, you're spinning your wheels and, and especially in the area of probation at the time, um, you know, those people didn't, those kids, uh, of course, they didn't want me in their lives, you know, they weren't excited about having to, to come and see me or for me to pop up in, in, you know, at their door or at their schools. So what I had decided when my son started at school, um, and then when we were moving here, I realized that I was giving, you know, those uh, clients, you know, my probationers and their families, I was really giving them the best of me. Mm. And then I was coming home and giving my family the rest of me, uh. which sometimes just wasn't adequate because I was worn out. I was, you know, frustrated, tired. But when you, you when my son started school, that's when that really showed up for me, mm. you know, and I felt like you've got this backwards, you know? So that's when I just became mom only. So he, he went from sep from second grade through high school. That's what I was. And so I did dabble here and there, you know, volunteering at his school and getting, you know, deeply involved at my church and things like that. But for the most part, I was able to be primarily mom until August of, of 2013. So, um, things just came full circle. So the day my son started at Stark State is the day I started at United Way. Oh, wow. That's very <laughs> so, cool. How did they, yeah, how did so, they get you back out? How did they be like, come back to, to the workforce? <laughs> well, like I said, I, I, as you can tell from my history, I'm always doing something. Mm -hmm. I'm always involved. So I was volunteering at a, uh, a now closed facility. It was called uh, Trillium family solutions. I was volunteering there. Um, and the person that I worked for, uh, Trillium closed back in 2013, actually early 2013, Trillium closed its doors. So the person I was volunteering for at Trillium, she started at United Way. Um, and she, she went there to create some new programming. And I want to say she started there in April. So then by August, she was ready to pull staff under her to implement the new programming that she was starting. So she asked me if I would come on board. So that's how it happened. Wow. Very fun. Yeah. And so now you're, uh, director of Project Blueprint, which we're going to talk about a little more later. Uh, but I kind of want to talk a little bit about the, the roles that you've had before Project Blueprint with 
criminal justice, as you mentioned, and mental health. And I'm just wondering if you can share a little bit about what you what the general public maybe doesn't understand about the mental health field and how it really works. Probably the main thing that I wish people would get and would understand, there is a lot of stigma around mental health and mental illness. And, and I understand where, where a lot of that comes from. You know, when you think about movies, you know, I, I think of Carrie, mm. <laughs> you know, I think of um, The Exorcist, you know, when you think, and you know, those are old ones, but even some of the more modern ones, when you think of those, it doesn't paint a pretty picture on mental health and men- mental illness, which I I understand, you know, that is the the root of where a lot of the stigmas have come from. Um, but, you know, mental health is, yes, there are mental illnesses and there are some severe mental illnesses that that can manifest themselves in some ways that people who don't understand it, you know, just might be kind of, you know, it might be off-putting to them. But mental health can impact any of us, you know, um, mental health is important for all of us, um, regardless of the severity of it. Um, we all have or will experience things in our lives that we have to know how to cope with. And if we don't have the the tools in our toolkit, um, or if we have the tools but don't know how to use them, you know, we could we could be on that other side of of the you know that where people are like, "Oh, what's wrong with them?" Um, you know, any of us could cross over you know, with the right set of circumstances and the right experiences, you know, and just not being prepared or not not having that resilience and that strength to know how to deal with it. Even some of us, even some people that are strong, you know, can just the right set of things can, can take them over. Yeah. Um, you know, and the other thing that I would say in terms of mental health is um, there's also a stigma about reaching out for help. You know, mm-hmm. there's a hesitation. Um, and I will say, you know, that's especially within my community. It's seen as a weakness. You know, um, it's it's seen as, you know, we take care of our own selves. We do this, this, and this. Um, but what I would love for people to understand, people, all people to understand, when you ask for help, that is probably one of the most strong things you can do. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, yeah. Um, you know, it, it takes a lot of, takes a lot of courage sometimes to, to reach out to somebody and say, you know, I need some help with this. Um, you know, but I know for me myself, you know, I've, I've utilized it myself. Obviously I'm a proponent, but when you keep things in your head, you, I'll speak for myself. It gets blown out of proportion. (laughs) Yep. Yep. (laughs) You know, and you, you can't really problem solve on your own. Sometimes you need that neutral third party, somebody that is just going to accept you as you are and validate you, but also guide you along, you know, through some, some of those difficult things in life. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And, you know, I, I am sure I, I can speak from a similar experience to many of our listeners. I have been seeing a therapist this past year for the first time really ever. And uh, it's, it took me, several years to finally get to a point where I just was like, all right, I'm picking up the phone and I'm calling someone. I'm doing it right now. And I'm, and then even in the, in the moment, I, it was not easy to, to talk about some of the things I needed to talk about, but I'm so glad I did. I mean, I'm in such a better place now than I was about a year ago when I first started. And it's, it's been a wonderful influence in my life. So, and, you know, I think, you mentioned in your community, in the African-American community, I also think it's difficult for men yeah. to reach out as right. well. I know yes. that that's, that's a big thing too. So uh, many different, many different uh, demographics of people have trouble w- with it. So, that's true. Good yeah. for you though. I applaud you. Yay. <laughs> we support going to therapy yeah. here. Yes, yes. So you've done uh, you've done so much work in counseling, but you've also done a lot of work uh, in the community with Stark County NAACP, uh, strengthening Stark's Minority Action Committee. Tell us about your work with those organizations. 
Well, I'll have to admit with the NAACP, I'm, I'm newly involved with it. Um, so probably, probably about a year, maybe. So I, you know, I'm still feeling my way with that, you know, have been attending meetings more as an observer just to see where I fit. Um, but I really felt strongly that that was something that I needed to be involved in um, because issues of diversity, equity, and inclusion have always been important to me. And in the past three years, that's actually like my job now. Um, and so, I, you know, I really felt like how could I needed to be involved with the NAACP because of that, you know, that is like the, the, the main national organization, um, you know, that deals with those issues that, that, that helps to address um, issues of discrimination for all people of color, you know, and um, so that's what kind of drew me to it. And I, like I said, I'm still trying to feel my way um, through with exactly what my role is there. Um, actually, I have a really good relationship with the new president. Um, he just, he, last night, I had my session for Project Blueprint, and he was my presenter. <laughs> <laughs> Wonderful. Project Blueprint last night. So, you know, so so like I said, I don't know what my role is yet. You know, I'm, is it just to, to kind of connect NAACP and United Way, you know, to work on some things? Or, you know, is it more of an individual role for me? Like I said, I, I will get that figured out when, when it's time. Um, with Coming Together Stark County, um, I actually also got involved with that um, as a result of my current position. Um, so I've been with United Way since August of 2013, but I've been in this current position just since July of 18. Um, so, you know, when I was called upon to develop Project Blueprint, we did, it was not existing. We didn't have anybody working in that area of diversity, equity, and inclusion for United Way. So the first thing I realized is that I needed to personally get involved in the community in those areas. Um, you know, prior to that, I was involved through my church and through some other volunteer, you know, uh, uh, opportunities, but not necessarily in this specific area. So Coming Together Stark County um, it was on my radar. So um, I reached out to um, the then administrator and talked to her about some of the things that were going on, you know, that they were doing. And we decided that that it was probably a good idea for me to get involved <laughs> with it. So um, so that's how that, that got started. Um, so with that, um, Coming Together Stark County is really, um, you know, we want to... Um, just really increase the, the uh, focus on diversity education in our community. So that's one of the main things we do is we provide opportunities for education for in the area of diversity, equity, inclusion. So I'm not one of the trainers, but we have people that are certified trainers um, that that will will go out and have been going out into the community training for um, in on these topics. Um, so more specifically, where my role has like really stepped up is um, I'm part of the our United Way is part of a collaboration or coalition, the Dismantling Racism Coalition, which coming together, Stark County is also part of that. So um, with that coalition, we do collaboratively, we do a lot of things out in the community, hosting community conversations. We put out the unity challenge. Um, we've, we've been um, actually working with different organizations to kind of walk them through some of the resources in the community, in the unity challenge as well. So, um, so yeah, so my involvement more uh, regarding coming together Stark County has been more so because of the, the collaboration mm -hmm. through the Dismantling Racism Coalition. Yeah. So we um, talked on the phone the other day and you uh, were talking to me about the importance of action and how ideas get thrown around a lot and conversations happen a lot. Um, but the action part is what actually makes the change. So why, you're, you know, you're involved in all of these organizations. Why do we need to have a sense of urgency when we're pushing for change? Like, is there, 
is there a time where we would need to have a slower approach approach and why do you think it's so important right now in this moment that we all kind of have a sense of urgency about the work that we're trying to do well um there's we we've seen a lot of things happen over the years in our in our society in our in our country in our world and a lot of times there's a response you know to the things that happen and what i have seen over the years is frequently that response and the action that that comes with that response it's fervent you know everybody's excited everybody's all in for a time <laughs> for for a time and then it just fizzles and all of that excitement and and determination and commitment it's like we just go back to where we were before um if not worse and um so I believe this was part of our conversation. I'm not sure if it was or not, but one of the things that when we decided, you know, the coalition, when it was formed, um, when we decided to create that unity challenge, um, obviously that was in response to the things that had taken place in the spring and, and summer, you know, early summer, May of last year, you know, ideally the murder of George Floyd. So we decided to do that because we just felt like we, we just felt this one was different. Like we just could not sit back and do the same old, same old. So, um, so we had the conversation, started, put it this, started putting this together and we, we rolled out that unity challenge in record speed actually. But then as we were pre putting that together and preparing that and, and people were, uh, you know, jumping on to participate, we decided this cannot just be this moment. This has to continue on um, because all of us that were part of, of putting that together, we all had that sense of this time we just can't just jump out and, and be all you know active and excited while this is in the forefront of our minds. This needs to continue because obviously change, the, the amount of change that needs to happen hasn't taken place because we're still here. Yeah, yeah. We, we still have these things happening for whatever reasons that they are, they are still happening. Um, so, you know, that's why I said, I feel like now's the time for action. I believe that some, I, I do believe that every dark cloud has a silver lining. And it's really unfortunate that people have had to lose their lives, you know, because of things, you know, because of mindsets or whatever. But if change can happen, if long, long lasting, impactful change can happen because of that, then there's that silver lining, you know, that that's part of that dark cloud. Um, so, you know, in terms of what you said about if there's a time to slow down, I, I, I would say maybe there's a time to step back, but even though there might not appear to appear to be things happening physically even then there might be things happening behind the scenes you know you just have to weigh that out as to when it's time to be upfront, you know out visible or when it's time to to do the work behind the scenes yeah yeah you know you talk about trying to create sustained and lasting change uh, we, Rachel and I have talked many times, and our listeners have heard us say many times, we hope that we get to a point where we don't have to have a podcast like this. But, Wouldn't that be wonderful? Right? Exactly. <laughs> but, you know, until we do, we are committed to continuing to have these conversations as well as to take actionable steps at our own organization. For instance, this season, every single Masterworks concert that we present, all seven of them will have at least one piece by a woman or a composer of color, or in some cases, a woman of color composer, which is, which is incredible. And we're hoping to uh, look at some other things going forward to get increased representation on our stages. But one of the reasons, the biggest reasons we, the biggest reason we really wanted to talk to you today is because the one 
part we hadn't really addressed until last week's episode with Gita Somayajala is diversity on the board. And your work with Project Blueprint at United Way is addressing this very thing. So tell us now a little bit about what you do in your professional life with Project Blueprint. Well, um, like I said, Project Blueprint um, became a part of United Way. Um, It was in the makings since uh, July of of 2018 um, when they asked me to take on this. Um, I had never heard of it, didn't know what it was. Um, But what, what I, you know, started researching, discovered Project Blueprint has been a, a, a product offered by many United Ways since like the late 80s. Um, even though we hadn't had it here, it's been in various um, locations across the country since the late 80s. Um, and what it is, it is just that. It is a board training and preparedness program specifically with the goal of increasing the uh, diversity of people, the representation of people of color on boards and committees on the area nonprofits. Now, is it limited to nonprofits? But no, not at all. But we realize that nonprofit board service or, or service period is usually the stepping stone for corporate, which is also, you know, a concern. Yeah. So, um, so I did a lot of reaching out to, um, existing programs that were either Project Blueprint or were similar to Project Blueprint and actually built the program that we have here for for Stark County. Um, So um, we did launch the first pilot um, session or or offering of Project Blueprint back in August of 2019. At that time, it was a 12-week program. And I want to say, I'm trying to think, I think we had 15 or 16 participants that came through um, that program. They finished actually in in December of 19, but then they graduated in January of 2020. Um, but so what, how that one was designed was, um, like I said, it was 12 weeks. So we started off with a, a tour of nonprofit agencies. We actually all got on a a reserved SARTA bus and we went to probably three or four different local nonprofit agencies just so uh, the participants could get a feel of what the nonprofits, some of the nonprofits in our community. Then um, with the, the, or so, you know, that was not classroom style. So the first classroom style session was an orientation. And I had um, then, and even with the current one, um, I had a person who is a person of color who is very involved in the nonprofit landscape of, of Stark County, um, who's, who's been able to make a difference um, in our community because of their, their place at the tables, these decision-making tables. I had them come on um, at the orientation to talk to the group about what why they should want to do this, why they are needed. Um, and then talk about the difference that they've been able to make because they're at the tables. Um, and then, you know, the other sessions, you know, include things like, of course, for roles and responsibilities, um, the, the, the uh, financial responsibilities in particular, the, the fiduciary responsibilities, um, uh, uh, what's it, Robert's Rules, um, mm. you know, how to run a meeting. That's what my last night's session was on. <laughs> um, boardsmanship, how to be a good board member, mm. you know, um, things like that. Um, strategic planning. Um, the, and then just to a smaller degree, maybe not full sessions on it, but um, what, how the board plays into the marketing, fundraising, um, PR, those those things that that go with the organization. Um, just giving them a, a full understanding of what a board is, the purpose of the board, and what a board member's role is, uh, you know, on the board. So, um, so that's what that's what Project Blueprint is. This second cohort was supposed to take place last year, right. but 
we all know what happened. <laughs> yes, yes. yes. Uh, you know, de- a lot of things got derailed and canceled, you know, because of that C word. Um, <laughs> the, the other C word, not cancer. So now we have a second C word. Oh, no. uh, so anyway, so I spent last year trying to figure out how to how to offer it virtually. So we started that, um, that, that second cohort, we started virtually um, earlier this month, actually April 8th, and we've had four sessions. I have 14 participants mm-hmm. and, um, you know, it looks a little bit different because it's virtual. So we didn't do the agency tour, but for session eight, I'm actually going to have agency spotlight where I have five agencies coming on the Zoom call to, you know, to talk about their programs. So, you know, we've had to, to modify, but I think it, we figured out how to make it just as impactful. Yeah, absolutely. So you mentioned you had 15 or 16, I think you said in the first class, which for mm-hmm. the, the first time doing yeah. a program, it seems like awesome. a very impressive amount. My guess is that a lot of these people had never thought about serving on a board before, or mm. at least it was not at the top of their mind. So how did you find these people who participated in the first yeah. year of the program? Well, since it was a pilot, um, we did a few few things. So um, we, you know, with United Way, we have partnerships with different organizations, nonprofit and corporate. Mm-hmm. So you know, we, we asked uh, um, amongst those relationships if, um, if those companies or organizations had people that they could recommend um, that they would, would put through the program. Now, that one we did not charge for. Um, so, you know, it was probably a little more appealing, you know, because it, it was, they were able to participate free of charge. Um, but so we, we put feelers out that way. Um, and then we also just did a promotional times, you know, of um, just general promoting through our different, um, you know, our website, our different show, social media sites. And we, we got some draw that way as well. Um, so, um, you know, so I had um, Urban League, they recommended and sent two or three, two for sure, participants, um, Latino Business League. They, they sent two or three participants as well. Um, and then some of our nonprofit um, partners that, that United Way partners with, whether we fund them or we're just partners with them in some other way, they each sent um, some participants as well. And then, you know, there were just some direct invites and people accepted the invite as well. Yeah. That's cool. fantastic. And how about the demographic of, uh, mm. of the participants age wise mm. and, uh, education wise, where, where people are in their lives? Was it a diverse group or mainly one type of candidate? Actually there, there was a diverse group. So age wise, I had as young as I want to say, I, I can't say his for sure age, but sophomore, junior in college. Wow. Yeah. Awesome. Right. Yeah. And then up to, oh my, I don't know people's specific ages, <laughs> but like, um, I know just based on their experience, work experience and life experience, I would say probably upper fifties at least. Excellent. Really fantastic. Yeah. Yeah. And then also diversity in terms of obviously uh, professional experience, Mm. you know, you know, there were, there was somebody that was a VP of something in their organization. And then again, down to people that are still in college, figuring it out, but, but also, you know, working to some extent in the community as well. Right. right. Absolutely. I think, one so one thing that you know we talked a little bit with Gita about last week is not you know being on a board some there are barriers in and of itself to become on a board sometimes boards have giving requirements um and and especially nonprofit boards so what are some of the the ways that you're tackling some of maybe those barriers age barriers especially when it comes to how much money someone maybe would be able to give to an organization how do you how do you all deal with those issues at all? Or is that something that, um, 
you're working with someone else to talk about or yeah, I'm I'm just curious about that that area of of the diversity issue in our boards. So currently we the only way we're tackling that right now is just as part of the educational process for the people that are coming through, mm-hmm. you know, um, through the program, just so that um, when we're when they are considering a board, those are some of the questions they need to ask and be aware of. So, you know, that is part of the educational process of preparing them for boards. But we, meaning United Way, um, my supervisor and I, um, we have also been discussing the need to also prepare boards for this, you know, because um, one of our concerns, one of my concerns is um, I the last thing I want is for me to make a connection for somebody to be on a board and they get there, but they, that, that board has not been prepared to receive them Mm -hmm. just because they didn't know some things. Um, And then that person doesn't last because they don't feel comfortable or they don't feel like they have, they're able to use their voice because that's the point of being on a board, you know, to to be able to use your voice. Um, However, you know, is appropriate. So we, want to eventually, and I don't know when, so don't hold me to that, but eventually that is something that we do want to start um, to to add as a um, part of what Project Blueprint does so that is is more well-rounded, um, you know, so what that will look like, I'm not real sure yet. Will, will that be, you know, training sessions, much like what we do for the participants or for agencies, you know, looking to, to grow their boards? Or will that be a one more of a one-on-one for agencies that want that training? We haven't worked that out yet, but we have recognized that that is a need. So, what are what are some of the things that you think nonprofit boards need to be thinking about when it comes to diversity on their board? Because I, I mean, I don't know. You've given statistics to me in the past, but nonprofit boards are overwhelmingly white, overwhelmingly, um, and the progress has not really been made in the past, I, I think you get said 20, 30 even years. 20, yeah, 25 and, years or so. Yeah, yes, there like hasn't been any change really to that. So. And it feels, to me at least, it feels particularly true in classical music. Oh. It is really, a, it's a, it's a, a huge problem in our right. industry at this point. So yeah, what are some things that boards I need to be thinking about. And I think my second part of this question is why is it important that we have diverse boards? Why is it so important that we have diverse ages, diverse backgrounds, diverse socioeconomic statuses, diverse races on our boards? So that la- the answer to that last question, it sounds so simple, but you, if it was that simple, it wouldn't be that we wouldn't have the issues. <laughs> but basically, the reason you need to have it is because our world is diverse, our communities are diverse. The the people we serve or our customers, you know, there are they are diverse. They're they're diverse in ethnicity. They're diverse in race. They're diverse in age. They're they're diverse in life experiences. Um, you know, social economic background. So the the board is usually the driving force of setting policy and making decisions for that organization or company or you know whatever that entity is so how can you make decisions for a group of people that are not represented in that decision making process you know there there is a a phrase um that came out i want to say with the disability population and it says nothing about us without us Mm. and and i think that fits in Mm. so many areas you know um when i discovered that that saying i was like wow that is so true wow (laughs) so so to me that's the simplistic reason of the why Mm -hmm. um you know so it's not just to have the you know to say we check off these boxes but it's to have the main reason is to, that people bring their experiences, they bring their expertise, and it may cause you to think about something in a different way that might not have even been considered had that different person, you know, <laughs> not been there. 
Right. And, you know, from our perspective as employees of, of these organizations, peop, peop, d- having a diverse board ensures that we can properly serve our diverse community. I mean, we, we don't, uh, as Rachel and I, of course, are both white, and we don't know the best way that we can serve other, other races, other communities. It, it's, and we need to hear from the members of those communities. So, yeah, it's absolutely mm-hmm. crucial right. for, for us to, to serve our whole community in the best way that we possibly can. I like the way you put that. It certainly, it should, all things, if you're serving, you know, are you representing the whole right. community? the whole community. Um, and so many times when you look at who's making the decisions, who's leading, it doesn't look like it. And and not saying that they don't have the best of intentions to try. Right. Um, because I, I do believe that even, even, you know, the boards that have been, you know, just milky white forever, I'm not going to say that they don't have the heart and the passion to serve the whole community, but maybe they just don't realize that they don't, that they're not, it's not really possible Right. without different representation. Um, you know, so when you think about when, when, when I, you ask the question of how to do it, right. you know, I, um, this is also something I stumbled across not too long ago. So how, H-O-W, honest, open, and willing. Mm. Those, if you have those three components and you, and you really, those are, you're committed to those three components, you can figure out the how. Right, right. That's uh, awesome. <laughs> it sounds so simple. <laughs> it does. It, it does. Oh but gosh. yeah, but you know, those three, honest, open, and willing, right. those have to be there first to get to, to figure out how. Absolutely. Right. So uh, we, as we mentioned, we spoke with Gita Somayajala, who is of uh, Indian descent and who is serves on several nonprofit boards. And I asked her if she had been approached to be on a board or if she had actively tried herself to get on. And she said in both of the boards that she serves on, she was approached. So does Project Blueprint have a way to approach nonprofits and say something like, hey, we have this program, we have these wonderful 15 or 16 people who just finished it, they're ready to be great board members are you interested? Yeah. What? How does Project Blueprint help to yeah. place its graduates at boards? So um, that is also a big part of Project Blueprint. Of course, the end game is we want our participants to be connected with boards. So, you know, in addition to me building relationships with the participants, I'm also building relationships with organizations in our community and letting them know you know, this is what we have going on. And I do that, you know, through direct relationships and direct communication with those organizations. Um, But also that's part of me having them come to speak to Project Blueprint or to be presenters as well. Um, So um, at the end, once the graduates, uh, once they complete the program and even throughout as well, Um, So what we as United Way, we promote those individuals. So, you know, you'll look on our website, we do it on our social media, we do interviews with the various participants and put that out so that the nonprofit community sees these people. You you say you need uh, board members, you say you want to diversify your board. We have people ready that have been trained and prepared so, you know, give us a call or, you know, reach out to us. Um, so with the first cohort that went through, we were in person. So it was easy to have a networking session. Mm-hmm. Um, so the very last session, I did an agency fair and um, people that, eat, uh, nonprofits either reached out to me or I reached out to some that, that I knew were wanting to, to take part in this. And they actually came to our our facility and set up in this one big room and, you know, brought brought 
information about their program and they actually talked one-on-one -on -one to, to the participants were able to go to the programs that interested them. Mm -hmm. um, not only outside agencies, but even within United Way, we had yeah. we had some, some positions and things that we wanted people to fill. Yeah. So, so that's how we did with the first cohort. What we're planning to do with this second cohort is once they graduate, we want to, uh, which their graduation is June 3rd, so we're wanting to start a, a promotional blitz of the people that completed and putting that out there through our various outlets of, you know, this is the recent graduating class and, you know, uh, showing some of their bios and their experience. Um, and then af after doing that for a few weeks, then we, we are going to do a networking session, probably virtually. <laughs> Um, we would love to do it in person, but um, if we can't do it in person, it'll probably be virtually. But that is the whole point of that, is to connect people uh, with available positions. However, I will say that's not the only way to connect. Um, if boards and committees and agencies out there are looking, they can reach out to me directly um, because I have had that happen. Even just last week, um, I've had programs reaching out to me saying, asking if I had anybody, you know, that may be interested in their agency, serving on their agency. Absolutely. Right. Right. That's, that's fantastic. And how about the, that first class who has already graduated? How many of them are currently serving on boards? Oh, you know, I have to think about that. <laughs> So, I know they finished their program right before the pandemic, pandemic so, so that exactly. could have affected things. Yes. So, so I know some of them were in some talks prior to pandemic, and then pandemic happened, mm. and some things got put on hold. So, um, and I know some of those were um, um, one was a an alternative school board here, mm. um, and one was a an organization education educational organization that uh, works within, I mean, it's a nonprofit, but they work within some of our local school mm -hmm. systems. Mm -hmm. So I know those kind of got put on hold. Um, this breaks my heart, but we had, we actually had two of the graduates that were on United Way's board, two. And they each worked for corporate, uh, you know, corporations here in our community. And guess what? They got sent to other states. Oh, <laughs> no. I know, I know, because I was so I was so excited about that because you know I feel like we you do I'm a believer that you you lead by example, you know. So how great was that, you know, for United Way to say we're putting people through this program and we are even putting them on our boards. Right. So so anyhow, we had that, and then I had another one that also left the area. So I. I've had three that have left the area that were, were really getting involved. Um, so of the ones that are still here, um, I know one for sure is involved with something with the courts, um, I, either on a state level, I think it's a state level. Mm. Um, I have somebody that's involved with um, a local community mental health agencies board. Somebody else that's involved with, um, oh, what is that program? I should have written this stuff down. Because <laughs> <laughs> I, I should have known I wouldn't be able to just remember it all. But it's, um, um, I believe he's still involved. Somebody that was involved with Project Rebuild. Mm -hmm. I don't know if you're familiar with that. They they do construction. It's, a, it's an alternative education program. Mm -hmm where the kids do construction work, but it's, they also get to complete their education, their high school education. Um, so in addition to those, I know a couple of them are involved with the Latino uh, Business League um, because that they have their own organization and board. And then we also still have some that are involved with United Ways, um, the YLS, United Ways Young Leaders Society, that's YLS. Um, I have some that are getting involved with our um, our councils. We don't have anybody on board yet because we lost the two that we did have. But um, so we have some that are just getting involved with 
some of the the entry level ways of getting involved with United Way. Yeah, that's I think that's uh, wonderful. And I, you know, looking at our board, which is um, all it's an all white board, one hundred percent, and they're they are wonderful. And our board chair is is very serious about diversifying our board. So I. Um, I have a feeling that you'll probably be hearing from her. <laughs> um, okay. um, but what I, I feel, we talked this about this a little bit with Gita, but how do boards go about doing this work authentically instead of trying, you mentioned checking boxes and, and, and making sure that we are staying away from tokenizing having yes. a person of color on our board and saying, look at us, we did it. We, we have, we have our one or two. How do we do this authentically and, and, and really work to get the right people on our boards, not just check a box? Right. So one of the things that it is a best practice out there, and I, and I think it's a good, I also think it's a good thing is for boards, to do an, a to do a an, a self assessment, you know, to do to assess their how they're doing, you know, what their needs are, you know, just kind of taking that deep look at themselves first, you know, um, because I think that's a a huge step before you bring somebody else in, you know, and then before you bring that somebody else in kind of ask yourself why <laughs> and be honest about that. You know, why are we bringing this person in? Is it just for, to, to check off the box? Because quite honestly, I know that that's some of what's happening, but that might not be a bad place to start because you have to start someplace. <laughs> you have to start somewhere. But if that's what it is, don't let it in there, you know? Um, you know, so don't just stop at diversity. You got to go to the next two, inclusion and equity. Yeah. Um, because it does no good for that person to get there and not be able to, to, to use their voice in the way that hopefully they were, to, they were asked to be there to begin there, yeah. to begin with. You know, hopefully they were asked to be there because they had something to offer because they could bring something to the day, the table that was valuable to the mission. And so if they don't feel included or able to use that voice, then what was it all for? Yeah. You know? Um, so like I said, just checking off the box or, or, you know, just saying, you know, we, we, okay, we did it. We have a female or we have an African-American or we have an Asian or whatever that, like I said, I'm not going to knock it and say, don't start there because sometimes you, you just have to start somewhere, mm. but then don't end there, you know, yeah. figure out how to make that person feel welcome, that they can bring their authentic through true selves to that room or that table, you know, whatever it is. Yeah. I think that, I don't think I've, no one's said that before. I think that's a um, yeah, that's something new. I haven't heard someone say that before. If, if you have to start there, start there, but don't let it end there. I yeah. think um, right. that's, I think that's really powerful. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Because, you know, the reality is some, some places they have to start there. You yeah. know what I mean? <laughs> so they, so they might, they might need the the need might be skill wise for, you know, whatever that, that fill in the box. Um, and so, you know, they might really, um, if you've got two candidates, one black, one white, and you know maybe the 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 um, the the white one feels that need that skill need or whatever that you know you know need is they feel it perfectly, but the black one may not feel it as perfectly as mm -hmm. <laughs> you know this other person. Then I think it's perfectly okay to err on that other side and be like, you know what, we really we really need to, to have diversity here. And, and if, as long, not that you're lowering your standards, but you know, as long as that person can still meet that need, but maybe not as high as the, the level as the other person, I think it's okay to bring that person in, you know, because sometimes are, is it just that our standards are too high? Sometimes do we really need, is that what you need? 
Mm. Or could it be better, you know, at a different level? Not saying you're diminishing at all, you know, um, what what you want or what you're willing to have, but but sometimes, you know, like I said, if 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 it's all equal, I guess that's what I'm trying to say. You know, if everything else looks equal, but then this other person just happens has an edge because of whatever, mm. then I think it's okay. Right, right. Absolutely. You know? Yeah. So uh, as we wind up here, I have a question about uh, Project Blueprints, the scope of it in the entire country. You mentioned it's been around in some capacity since the 80s. Do you know approximately how many cities have Project Blueprint active currently? Um. I don't know like how many for sure, but, but I know in my research, I ran across Project Blueprint-like programs through other United Ways and some that weren't even through United Way. So a lot of them um, have the program like it, but it's not called Project Blueprint. Okay. Um, that I know of for sure, there's a couple in Texas, um, Houston, and then another part of Texas that they're actually called Project Blueprint still. But um, there is one that's not far from here in Columbus that I uh, actually patterned a lot of mm. what I built for our program. I patterned it after the one in Columbus a lot. And they call theirs Project Diversity and Pride Leadership. So they had two separate programs, one that was about diversity, you know, uh, ethnic diversity, people of color. And then they also had one increasing the LGBTQ population on boards. So they, they're, they were separate and then they combined them. Okay. Um, wow. So a lot of the things that I've implemented in ours here is patterned after the one in Columbus, yeah, okay. their United Way. I actually went and observed some of their sessions. Um, so there are also some in um, Rochester, New York. Mm. They, they don't call theirs. Actually, theirs predates Project Blueprint, mm. you know, with United Way. They, they started theirs, uh, I forget exactly when, but it was before Pro Project Blueprint came on the scene. And how theirs is they have all of theirs are separated. So they have African-American leadership development. They have Asian-American leadership development. They have uh, Hispanic-American leadership development. So they have several different ones that are specific mm -hmm. to different ethnicities. Gotcha. Um, and then I know there's something in uh, Hampton, Virginia as well. So there's a few pockets of things out there. Cool. They might not be called Project Blueprint, but they're similar. Right. So you, you know, just to, as we're, you know, kind of concluding here, I think you, you mentioned a couple times stuff has been around since the 80s, at least. Um, mm -hmm. and, and we mentioned once before that looking at the research, looking at the statistics, if we look at a pie chart of board makeup, there's a little tiny sliver <laughs> that is not white. And then there's a huge chunk of pie that is white. Um, and over the past 25 years, that hasn't changed. So what do you, what, what do you think has maybe been the roadblock before? And what do we, what do we need to remove from our drive forward to get us to a place where we do see divorce boards? And what do you think that looks like in the future? One of the, um, one of the things that I think that has been a barrier is, just the mindset of what people think a board member needs to be. You know, for, mm -hmm. for, for the longest time, um, and even I think there's still even some of that exists even still now, which is why we still have the problem. I think the, the mindset was that a board member had to be, you know, some corporate level person that, you know, had all of these accolades, if they didn't have that, they, they, you know, those were the sought after people for boards. Um, obviously, especially with corporate corporations and even with nonprofits, you know, they, they look for people who um, tend to look for people. I won't say everybody across the board, but they tend to look for people who, 
who have these connections, mm. uh, who are prominent, who who have deep pockets. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, nonprofits. You know, they need people that are. You know that. So, um, so, and I think if you keep with that mindset, I think you you miss out on some opportunities to bring some people on board who can be be. You know, they might not. Some of them may, because I think sometimes the assumption is, you know, if you don't know for sure, the assumption is people don't have that financial ability, but you might be surprised by some of them. Yeah. But, you know, um, but but they might be able to help meet your, at the end of the day, it's your mission. Right. You know, you want people that can help support your mission, promote your mission and help you, you know, fulfill that mission, you know, and so you might be missing out on some great opportunities of people who can do that very thing um, because of some, some things that may or may not be true, but it's a, it's a thought process. So, you know, you you have to, um, you have to broaden your paradigm, you know, you have to change the way you think about what's the ideal board member. And then you also have to think they have to start thinking outside the box of how to recruit board members yeah. too. You know, um, most of the time board members are are recruited by current board members. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, I didn't even think about that. Yeah. So yeah. if if everybody in that on that board are similar or the same, what's the likelihood? that you're going to get something different, you know, if that's the way you recruit. So, yeah. you know, just, just changing the way you do things, just thinking, thinking outside the box and, and just being committed to, you know what, we've always done it this way and it's, we, we need to change it up. We need to look, di- you know, look differently, look in different areas or different ways or, you know, it, it can be done. It might, it just might require a little extra work. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> so our podcast, of course, is called Orchestrating Change. And before we let you go today, Flo, any final thoughts on how we can orchestrate change? Uh, well, I, I think I've kind of said, you know, I've said it all along in various ways, but maybe to sum it up, I'll just go back to that H-O-W, the how. Um that just being committed to those three components, you know, being honest, being honest with where things are, you know, not having to like, you know, dwell in the past about, oh, woe is us, this is what we've done and blah, blah, blah. But just taking an honest look at what kind of what got you here. Um, do you want to stay there? <laughs> you know, what, 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 what will it take to, to, to get us from here and just being honest about that. Um, and then just being open to, to what, what steps need to be taken and being open is again, thinking outside of the box, reaching out to different entities, you know, making connections with people that you might not have ever considered before, you know, Rachel, Rachel probably didn't know of me, but she, she probably never considered reaching out to to United Way to to help with this, you know, before, you know, uh, being on that that thing with Leadership Start, you know, where I presented, you know, so keeping your eyes open for opportunities, you know, Um, even with me, with what I do, you know, I'm always looking and in different experiences that I'm in, like, I need to connect with that person, that person can help me along with what I'm trying to do, you know, so that, you know, that, that being open and just being willing to to make the changes that need to be changed. Sometimes personally, most of the times personally, but it's those personal changes that lead to the the organization and community change as well. And that can be a hard thing, you know, because we get set in our ways and change is difficult, but at least be willing, you know, be willing to to get uncomfortable um, and be willing to do the hard work. Yeah. Absolutely. Flo, thank you so, so much yeah. for joining us on the podcast today. It's been an absolute pleasure to talk yeah. with you. Thank you so much. Well, I mean, I, I hope I get to hear you many, many more times speak, and I will definitely be reaching out to you for more more information about things okay. in the future. For well, sure. We, I, 
if I have it, the information, I will gladly share it or try to find it. So um, we, we have to do this together. Yeah. Yeah. We have to do this together. So thank you for having me as well. I, I appreciate the opportunity. Thank you. Our absolute pleasure. Flo Janani, director of United Way's Project Blueprint here in Stark County. Orchestrating Change is a production of the Canton Symphony Orchestra. Our theme music was composed by Eric Gould and performed by Derek Snyder and Tim Adams. Our audio engineer is Nathan Maslick. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time. Thank you.